Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, today we're talking about leadership in this current world that we're in. There's a lot going on out there. (laughs) There is, no doubt about it. From pandemics to now post-pandemics to leadership issues and all those things. And we're going to talk about leadership today, but I know you are always kind of keeping your finger on the pulse of culture. So as you're thinking about the topic of leadership and uh, how people are leading, what are you reading? What are you looking into right now that's got you thinking about this topic? Well, I don't know if you've uh, been watching the news this this past fall, uh, but starting October 5th, it was a huge strike up at Kellogg's in Battle Creek, yeah, Michigan, yeah. Rice Krispies, Frosted Flakes. So there were 1,400 workers that went on strike that just stopped working. And there's been dialogue between labor and management trying to get that work going again. And they've just, they're both, both sides are just killing any chance at a, at a deal. It's, mm. it's amazing. I think they give whole new meaning to serial killer. I'm, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You just couldn't hold yourself I back. Couldn't, could you? I couldn't. Yeah. So, but but it, in all seriousness, there is a large number of people in almost every industry stepping back. You're still enjoying the joke, I aren't am. you? I, I just think that's a good joke. Okay, so. thank you I so much. That. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's people that are just saying, I think I've had enough. I don't think I can go on anymore. Yeah. Not in life, but, yeah. but in work. And so people are stepping back instead of stepping up. And so this really is going to be a conversation that I hope listeners you find helpful and relevant uh, in just encouraging us. This is the time to step up, yeah. not step back. Whether people are CEOs of companies or they're boxing cereal, they're all yeah, looking at their right. situation and going, yeah. I don't know if I can do this anymore. And there's a lot of factors at play, but uh, it's a moment, it seems yeah. like. It's a moment where we're going to sort of find out what we were made of. Yeah, no uh, doubt. More or less. So nationwide surveys have been taken among educators in that industry. And Andrew, I was floored when I heard somewhere between 45 and 50% of school administrators have considered, maybe I'll just resign. Wow. So if that were to happen, it's, I don't think it's going to happen, but if that were to happen, that's nearly half of the schools having to transition to some new leader and hoping to God you can find a quality leader. Even um, if that number was 25%. It'd be a lot. It'd be a yeah. lot. Yeah. yeah. So the latest trend that I'm hearing and seeing, and I think some of our listeners must have too, it's something that's been called the great resignation. Mm-hmm. We've referred to yep. this on the yep. podcast before. Inc. Magazine came up with the first nationwide publication where they featured this article called the great resignation. It actually was something that was a it was coined. The term was coined in 2019 wow. by a Texas A&M professor, Anthony Klotz. But um, so he was very prophetic in 2019. Pre-pandemic. Bef- yeah. That's right. Exactly. That's crazy. But it's continued on. And in 2021, we had a single month, April, where four and a half million Americans quit their jobs. And then July, August, September, there were 11.5 million people. So that equals, you know, over 15, 16 million people just transitioning. I'm not saying it's wrong. Every yeah. time, some places it was. In fact, I think in some places there were people that said, I need to find a job 
that's pandemic proof. Yeah. I, I, I'm in danger of being laid off and I want to find a job that I can maybe work from my home, yep. putz around here a little bit, create some revenue and then yeah. not be at danger or yeah. at risk of losing my job. Many people weren't leaving just out of frustration. They were leaving for opportunity, right? Because yeah, right. in the same way that many <clears throat> uh, people are quitting their jobs, there's also a lot of jobs that got opened up uh, post pandemic. And so lots of people are seeing opportunity or the grass being greener or whatever that situation is. Yeah. So the numbers we've just shared are from the U.S. Department of Labor. There are studies coming out even now that indicate this resignation thing is not likely over. Mm. Um, a survey of over 30,000 workers conducted by Microsoft, so it's a private study, found that 54% are considering quitting. Wow. So something's in the air. And, and I don't mean that literally, but something's brewing that says, I'm weary. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's worth it to keep working or struggling or laboring. I don't know if I'm getting enough encouragement or, or, or compensation. Something's not quite connecting. And whether they're right or wrong, I think it's good for us to have a conversation that says, what can we do about this? Because yeah. we all can't quit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's also the for the people who aren't in that category of considering quitting, the question before them is, what does leadership look like in a moment like this where yeah. so many people are coming, you're training new folks? Uh, it's uh, the term you I've heard you use is actually a revolving door of leaders, yeah. right? Yeah. How do I lead during this revolving door time? So funny, you should mention that Fortune magazine featured an article called The CEO Exodus of 2020, and it is a revolving door. So beginning late 2019, the, those were the numbers I dug up, we started to see these executives, these C-suite level leaders begin to leave their job. So again, I want to point out pre-pandemic, I don't think they saw something coming in September of 2019, although we started hearing stories from China by December, mm -hmm. uh, this could be happening. But you and I both remember March of 2020, that's when our office was sent home. Yep. You know, we all began to work from home for months and months and months. Um, almost a year, in fact, for yep, us. Almost exactly. But um, this great CEO exodus floored me when I began to read about it. Fortune 500 company leaders, chief leaders, yeah. were just quitting. The CEO of Disney, IBM, Hulu, Uber Eats, uh, Harley Davidson. I mean, major names and brands that you would know. Just dozens and dozens and dozens left. So I began to look at this more deeply and say, what is it that's happening both between labor and management, if I can use those terms, that's causing us all to say, I want to throw in the towel. Mm. And it's a big it's a big challenge before us because we um, oftentimes when you hear about great resignations or people leaving your jobs, you assume that the people in question are the folks who are, again, packing cereal or maybe yeah, the yeah. middle level manager or whatever it is. It's a totally different challenge when the people who are leaving, when the revolving door is not those middle level managers, yeah. it's yeah. the people at the very top making all those big choices. So in today's conversation. I'd love to talk about a case study or two that will just be encouraging and maybe put some data behind to stick with it and keep on going, even yeah. when it doesn't seem like it's very fun right now. Yeah. yeah. And I know um, one of the things I love about you, Tim, is I think for years I have uh, watched you give really good advice to leaders, especially in times of crisis. How do I manage this? How do I think about this? What's the best way to, and I feel like this is one of those moments that we're in right now. And really this is, yeah. uh, this is sort of a, we beseech you podcast yeah, in some ways. Right. This is a moment where we're recognizing the challenges of leadership are greater than normal and probably greater than 
uh, leader expected them to be. Yep. And in a moment like this, I think we need models to look to, uh, which is exactly what you want to talk to us about. Absolutely. So as I begin to dig back through at least recent history, I love a story that came out of middle 20th century. In fact, it was a World War II story mm. that absolutely ignited the passions of leadership uh, afresh for me. So in the middle of a pandemic, I thought, I'm going to keep going here. And it was the story, ironically, of a person we know very little about. We know about his dad, but not him. Mm. It was Teddy Roosevelt Jr. Uh So we're all familiar with Teddy Roosevelt, the president, who over 100 years ago led the United States as the president. Uh, Rough rider, you know, just was a man of vigor. He has quite a reputation. Yes, he does. He really does. Uh, In fact, he laid tracks for all kinds of new things that are still happening today the preservation of nature and parks and, yep. and, and so forth. But his son, who didn't really get any limelight until World War II, really stands out as a, as a great model to follow. Okay, so Tim, talk about his story then. Well, um, Teddy Roosevelt Jr. was a veteran of World War I. So his story gets great in World War II, but think about it. He's already old enough to fight in World War I. So that's 19, yeah. 1914 to 1918. But by the age of 56, as, an, as, an, as a veteran already, um, he wanted to stay active in, in the military. At 56? Yeah. Wow. So this is the oldest son uh, of Teddy Roosevelt, the president, and he was the oldest soldier deployed in Operation Overlord and the highest ranking American to storm Utah Beach on June 6, 1944, which was the D-Day invasion. So he wasn't just a commander sitting in a tent telling people what to do. That's exactly right. He wanted to be on the front lines. Wow. Yeah. So watch this. He did this. He eventually got to do it, but he had to fight for his chance to do it. He did this with a cane and a pistol. No way. So he's 56. I need a cane to get forward here, but I want to have a gun in my hand if I'm going to be in a war. So he has a pistol and a cane, and he leads the troops. So his story is absolutely fascinating. Let me, let me kind of uh, unpack it here. Um, although he was well-liked by age 56, because he'd already fought in World War I. So they already see him as a, kind of a legend of yeah. World War I in the early ni- uh, 20th century. He was rejected in his request to fight in World War II. After all, they thought, this guy's too old. Yeah. Thank you for your service. This is a young man's game. That's right, thing. exactly. Major General uh, Raymond Tubby Barton, they called him, Tubby Barton. <laughs> Names uh, were so awesome That's back right. Then. <laughs> I know. They were. You, you can't beat them. Uh, rejected um, Teddy Roosevelt Jr.'s request to lead a regiment into combat. Barton just thought, as I said, was he was just too old. So in a personal letter, he beseeches Tubby Barton again. In a personal letter to Barton on May 26, 1944, so this is a year before the end of the war, but we're now getting involved as, yeah. U, as the United States. Roosevelt pleads his case in seven succinct bullet points. So he's like an attorney laying out, this is why you ought to let me fight. And here's what he says. I love this phrase, and I directly quote Teddy Roosevelt Jr. He said, I personally know both officers and men of these advanced units and believe that it will steady them to know that I am with them. Mm. I want to say that again. He said, I personally know both officers and men in these advanced units, and I believe that it will steady them to know that I'm with them. Isn't that powerful? First of all, that he wasn't just thinking about retirement. Yep. This is where I can settle back and you know enjoy my 401k, although there were no 401ks at that yeah, point. Yeah. Or, or I could just uh, you know say, hey, I'll be thinking of you while yeah. you're out there. 
he says, you got to let me back in. I think it will steady the younger guys to see me still in the fight. So the reason I want to go back in the fight is not just because I'm rearing for a good time, right? Uh, It's because I'm thinking about the people who honestly may survive because of my presence, may be calmed and all those things because I'm there. Yeah. So Major General Barton finally gives in and lets him fight. (laughs) The guy wants to fight. Let's go ahead and let him He wrote a letter like that. Yeah. Yeah. So get this. Um, This is so powerful to me. Through relentless fire from German coastal installations. Remember the D-Day invasion? They're on the beaches and they knew one out of three is not going to make it. Mm. So just look to your left, look to your right. One out of three of you is not going to come home. Um, There were machine gun nests. There were densely packed minefields along Utah Beach, coastal installations where they're in little foxholes just firing at the ships coming in. These The Germans are. Roosevelt calmly guided successive waves of young soldiers to the beachhead. And by the end of the day, the 4th Infantry was able to penetrate inland six miles on foot. On the first day. Yeah. And of the 21,000 troops that landed, there were only 197 casualties under Roosevelt. Wild. 21,000, only 197 casualties. I don't know how that was done. That, to me, seems like a minor miracle. But it was this calm leadership that was later rewarded Mm. uh, of, of, of... Teddy Roosevelt Jr. That is amazing. Yeah. Uh, Such an example of um, steadiness and leadership, but also a recognition of uh, a greater purpose, right? I'm putting myself into harm's way, but I'm doing that because I believe in this mission. I believe in what we're doing, but I also believe in these people that I'm leading. And I'm willing to make those sacrifices in order to see them succeed. And maybe that's the point. I don't think you can do leadership without sacrifice. That's yeah. what you sign up for. Yep. You To see a bigger picture, it's not about you. In fact, I remember Gerald Brooks, uh, my dear friend in Dallas, Texas said, leaders lose the right to be selfish. Mm. Leaders lose the right to be selfish. And I don't know, if you're a selfish person, I would say don't sign up for leadership. Yeah, you might not enjoy it very that's much. Right. Yeah. Or you may be part of the great resignation because yeah. you go, I, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. You can't be a good parent and be selfish. You can't be a good leader and be selfish. And you certainly can't be a good military officer yeah. and choose to be selfish. So what I want listeners, Andrew, to, to, to key in on here is the reason Teddy pleaded to be there. I want to go over it again. He said that he believed it would steady them to know that I am with them. Roosevelt was there to model the way, to be alongside of them, to set an example for the younger soldiers. And he did. He was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor. Oh, so after wow. he was dead... And by the way, he his dad wanted this. Teddy Roosevelt, the president, wanted that, never got it. His son got it. Wow. So I want to read what he was what was cited for him. He repeatedly led groups from the beach. This is what the citation says. He repeatedly led groups from the beach over the seawall and established them inland. His valor, courage, and presence in the very front of the attack and his complete unconcern at being under heavy fire inspired the troops to heights of enthusiasm and self-sacrifice. Although the enemy had the beach under constant direct fire, Brigadier General Roosevelt moved from one locality to another, rallying the men around him, directed and personally led them against the enemy. Under his seasoned, precise, calm, and unfaltering leadership, Assault troops reduced beach strong points and rapidly moved inland with minimum casualties. He thus contributed substantially to the successful establishment of the beachhead in France. 
Powerful. So wild. When I think about uh, leadership in times like whether, I mean, it's hard to compare times now to World War II, but man, when I think about a leader going through a time of great difficulty, if it was described of that leader, that they were seasoned, precise, calm and yeah. unfaltering. Yeah. What a definition of leadership. Andrew, we can't show it here because this is a podcast, not a film, but <laughs> I saw photographs um, and I got emotional. Mm. You could see him just calmly pointing the way to these young men who were probably 21 years old. Yeah. And he could have been their dad, if not their granddad. Yeah. But he's just, they see his calm. They see his calm. And they go, okay, I can do this. It reminds me of that brand new habitude we created, the flight attendant factor. Yeah. You're in the middle of a flight. You get into turbulence. What do you do? You look at the flight attendant. Mm -hmm. Is she still serving Diet Coke? Is she still smiling and telling jokes? If she is, we can be. We can be calm too. That's what he was. He was a flight attendant. And I guess in the midst of this great resignation and the great CEO exodus that we've just cited in this podcast, I just want to urge listeners to consider Teddy Roosevelt Jr., he could have uh, he could have retired as a veteran yep. and had a great track record yep. in World War One. He had two track records: World War One and World War Two. It's amazing. He continued so he could study the young soldiers, and I believe today is not a time to step back. Makes sense rationally, not if you're a leader. Yeah. It's time to step up, not step back. I think of Florence Chadwick, that wo- that woman that swam the English not well, she swam the English Channel, but it was the swim to from Catalina Island to the coast of California. It was a 26-mile swim. And you remember the story in in 1952, she gave up her swim, but not because she couldn't do it, but because she couldn't see the goal. Yeah. It was a foggy day. The fog was so thick, she couldn't see the goal. Maybe, listeners, that's what you're under. You're Florence Chadwick saying, it's not that I I can't do it. I just don't see the goal anymore. And I'm saying, remember why you got into this gig in the first place. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're an educator. You're pouring into the next generation. Maybe you're a leader in a, in a nonprofit or a company. Uh, I don't know what you're doing, but there were reasons why you got into this. Those reasons are not different. Mm-hmm. It's just harder now. Yeah. And I'm saying this is the time we need to do it. It's such a great reminder for us as leaders because we don't get enough voices who are coming alongside us in this very challenging moment going, here's what you need to remember. Here's what you need to remember. Instead, what we are is we're often surrounded by voices that say you're entitled to yes. whatever it is, fill in the yeah. blank, right? Yep. Uh, a better job over on the other side, a better opportunity over here. And really what we're what we're not doing is stopping and thinking about what's the mission? Mm-hmm. Who? What do the people around me right now need? And would there be young soldiers who would be steadied by if my I steadied, I, yeah. did, I didn't mean to. No, no, that's it's really great. That's exactly what we're talking about. And I think it's such a great, yeah, it's such a great reminder for where we're at right now. So there is power in just remembering the vision that we started with. And maybe a, a good way to close would be with another quick story. I love this uh, one. Of a man who needed to be reminded of what he had inside of him and that maybe quitting would have been okay and natural and certainly uh, nobody would have balked at, but but he was challenged. So I go way back to the 1950s. In fact, it was the early 1950s when a man we've all heard of, Walt Disney, came up with the idea of building a theme park. In fact, he called it Disneyland. He took the idea to his board and the board said, man, what a great idea. Now, they'd made films up until this point at Disney, but they'd never built a theme park. So his board said, well, who are you going to get to build this thing? And Walt Disney said, 
I already know the man. I want to build it. They said, what's his name? He said, I don't know his name, but I already know the man. I want to build it. They go, what do you mean? How could that be true? Yeah. And here's what Walt Disney said. I want you to find me the man that put the United States Navy back in the ocean after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Mm. Well, they scoured the land and they found out a number of officers were involved, but the one that came to, to light the most was Joe Fowler, mm. Admiral Joe Fowler. I might add retired Admiral Joe Fowler. <laughs> that's a significant that, thing that, to remember. Right. Who was the late 1950s had already hung up the cleats and said, hey, I did my time. You know, like, like Teddy Roosevelt, I did my time. I fought in the war. My gosh, we restored the ships back to Pearl Harbor. Has, isn't that enough? So he had retired. Well, Walt Disney goes, this guy could help us build this theme park. A theme park. Yeah. So Disney visits Joe Fowler and he casts the vision a little bit. Not enough, actually, at the first. <laughs> so Joe Fowler said, hey, that sounds fun, but you don't understand. I'm retired. Yeah. I'm through. Yeah. Well, Disney kind of barges in, starts hanging pictures. He always storyboarded things, uh -huh. hanging pictures of Frontierland, Tomorrowland, Adventureland. And he starts describing the vision of Disneyland. Well, it so caught the heart of Joe Fowler. Joe Fowler came out of retirement to oversee the building. Of, of Disneyland in 1955. Crazy cool. Yeah. Now, that's not the end of the he story. He did a pretty good job, by the way, yeah, too. Yes, he did. You know, years later, Disney World, Walt Disney World in Orlando, Florida is conceived. And do you know who they went to? <laughs> I'm not kidding. So this is years later. Yeah. They go to Joe Fowler. He's double retired at Th this that's point. That's right. He's double retired. At least he is. Yeah. Know, okay? So now Walt Disney's passed away, uh, but the Disney folks come to Joe Fowler and said, hey, Joe. Disney World, it's even bigger. Well, this time Joe Fowler says, you don't understand. I'm retired. I'm through. You know, same line, but a different voice. Yeah. And they go, no, you don't understand. This is even bigger. And they describe this huge property they purchased in Orlando. It so catches the heart of Joe Fowler. This leader comes out of retirement for the second time. And in 1971, they complete the building of Walt Disney World. Amazing. Not the end of the story. <laughs> A decade later, the Epcot Center goes up. And this was Walt's original vision, you know, this huge utopia of tomorrow. They go to Joe Fowler. So he's now in his 80s. Goodness you know? gracious. Yeah, late 80s. And they go, Joe. You're the man for the job. Epcot, whole, you know, whole history of the world inside of a ball, you know. Well, this time, I don't know. You don't understand. I'm yeah. retired. I'm through. You yeah. know, but they cast the leading vision. with a cane. I'm That's, sure at this point, <laughs> a cane and a pistol. Yeah, you know? but Joe Fowler is so enraptured by the vision that he comes out of retirement third time. Now, here's what I love about this story. One, it's a leader that stepped up, not stepped back when he could have stepped back. Yeah. But I love the fact that as the story has been told, and I heard a guy that met Joe Fowler tell this story. He said Joe Fowler's favorite phrase which at one time was, you don't understand, I'm retired, I'm through, was changed to, you don't have to die till you want to. Oh, yeah. Now, it's tongue in cheek, but what he meant was, every time I feel like quitting, when I get reignited with a vision, I just want to come back. Yep. And leaders, I'm talking to you now. It's time, I think, to step up. Maybe you're supposed to quit. I'm not saying everybody needs to keep working another 50 years. But this last year, Andrew, it was hard for us. Mm -hmm. And I had it go through my mind. You maybe did too. Maybe it'd be easier to do something else, you know? Yeah. But um, I'm so glad I stayed, and I'm so glad you stayed, and I'm so glad now we're recovering now better than ever. Yeah. If you look at the students we're reaching and partnering with schools and the revenue, it's just so cool. And I just think it was... Um, it was just another great illustration. And thank you, Teddy Roosevelt Jr., for reminding us 
that when we could sign a retirement paper, he's beckoning a major brigadier general to let me fight again. Yeah, put me back in the game. Yeah. Well, Tim, thank you so much for your insight and your inspiration. I think it's exactly what the doctor ordered for this season that we're in. Uh, if you're looking to dig even deeper into some of these topics, Tim actually just wrote a really great book called The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership. Yeah. And it's exploring the challenges that we face right now in leading in these times. So uh, we are quite literally all living paradoxical <laughs> leadership every yeah. single day. So if you're looking to dig a little deeper on a topic like that, I invite you to head on over to growingleaders.com slash store. You can go to the Growing Leaders website website and just click on the store. Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership is right there. And we'd love for you to pick up a copy of that. It's a great way. Maybe it might make a good uh, a good gift for somebody that you really care about or think that might uh, you might grow from it. Maybe it's a really good uh, uh, book study uh, thing that you could pick up for. But if you're thinking about leadership right now, it's a really great resource. The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership. We'd love for you to get that. As always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. That helps get the word out about what we're doing here. We really appreciate that. If you found this podcast helpful, we want to encourage you to share it with a friend or a colleague, maybe a family member who you think might find it beneficial. Just go ahead and pass it along. If you want to connect with us online, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore, pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you have ideas for this podcast, people you want us to interview, uh, maybe a topic you think we should cover, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those from you. Tim, thank you once again for leading us. Thank you guys for leading whatever area you are. Remember, don't give up. Uh, keep leading. Uh, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>